Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast. This is a place where truth is shared, taboos are disrupted, secrets are revealed, and power is gained. I'm your host, Danny Temras, and it is my personal mission to empower women in becoming the best version of themselves. Each week, I'm bringing you inspiring guests to help you build your confidence and mental toughness so that you can live the life of your dreams. next episode of the Fearless Warrior Podcast. My guest for today's show is Yvonne Delaflor. Yvonne is known to be one of the predecessors of innovation in leadership and personal transformation. Renowned internationally as a spiritual master, author, musician, artist, and producer using the methodology called Total Awareness Coaching. She's one of the four people worldwide authorized to train others in the German system called Futuring which helps corporations, entrepreneurs, executives, parents, and individuals design futures of productive, brilliant, and successful life. She is the creator of the Transcendental Rebirthing System, through which she has helped over 6,000 people rebirth. Her system helps each individual take full control over his or her life, heal the past, update their present, and design their future with complete confidence, stability, internal peace, and personal power. Yvonne has made appearances on international radio, television programs, and has collaborated on books by other authors like Gods and Angels by Doreen Virtue. In this episode, Yvonne and I talk about her story of triumph, of facing and learning from near-death experiences, finding tremendous strength through meditation, dealing with the choiceless choice, leading by example, and becoming a spiritual teacher. When facing death, Yvonne made a commitment that if given a second chance, she would use it and be of service to others, which she's truly attested to ever since her car crash at the age of 17. Yvonne is a remarkable warrior who has embarked on the journey of studying the world's religions, ancient cultures to find wisdom and answers. And today, you get to hear from her about what she's learned and found out to be true. Listen carefully and take notes. This interview is a complete fire. If there is at least one thing you learned from this episode and found useful, please share with a friend. Let's dive into the interview. Yvonne, welcome to the Fearless Warrior podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm super honored to be with you, Dani. Such a great opportunity to be in your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. So Yvonne, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Telling you about myself, I'm 48 years old, I'm going to turn 49 this year, and I'm starting with the, with the end right now with the 49, I'm going in reverse. But uh, since early childhood, I've been spiritually driven. I've been fascinated to learn the thoughts of God, to see how consciousness works, the mechanics of uh, human existence, the mechanics on why people feel, why people choose to do certain things. And I have been obsessed with self-realization, which is personal mastery and getting to know myself. When I was little, like as many humans, I was faced with some incredible opportunities that became my life teachers and that many people will have called challenges 
or traumatic experiences, right? When I was around seven years old, my first experience of what is called duality in spirituality came into my life, which is our separation, which it was the divorce of my parents. Simultaneously, my mother is diagnosed with a disease called multiple sclerosis, and I'm encountering now there's divorce, there's disease, there's a diagnosis, and I have to figure it out at a very young age, how to manage myself, how to self-regulate, how to be a sister, how to help my mother, how to be a good daughter, how to be a good leader onto my own and figure out things. So I'm going through these experiences in life, but I do want you to know I've had since really young thoughts of God that were not instilled in me by religion. You know, even though I was raised Catholic, I had a very special, I call it a very special connection to God because I was always wondering what the experience of God was, why some people believed that God was in a church or in heaven, and why couldn't they feel this experience that I could feel all around. So all of this is happening simultaneously. And when my mother was diagnosed, I'm still a child going to school still trying to figure all this out. Um, I had to figure out things on my own. My mom did the best that she could. The disease of multiple sclerosis is a degenerative disease. So there is, they haven't found a cure. My mother was not into really healthy eating, which was my first lesson. I became obsessed with nutrition, uh, healthy eating. Actually, I became vegan and every single aspect of my being was telling me, I can heal my mother. I can heal people with healthy food, with eating apples and bananas and, you know, and all what Mother Nature provides. We can restore health from within. But, you know, my mother didn't choose that. She only found uh, comfort and an escape in drinking sodas. That was her only life, freedom of choice that she remained. So I became very compassionate, too, in not trying to force anyone into healthy habits or nutrition. You see how the multiple lessons are beginning to form my life of spirituality and how I help people now while still respecting the diversity of beliefs and choices. And so I grew up with that. I become obsessed with nutrition and I start meditating at the age of 12. And my mom's degenerative disease keeps growing my spirituality keeps growing simultaneously. By the age of 12, I had my first encounter with death in a family member, an experience of someone in the family, which is my grandfather. I'm in his house, Danny, with my grandma that I love, and my grandfather locks his eyes on me, and I will never forget the eyes of that pre-announced death. I will never forget because... And I actually will always remember because till these days, I can sense and see in the eyes of people so many things, truth, untruth, dead, disease, desperation, fear, uh, survival, catharsis. It's an incredible feeling of meeting life and death simultaneously through the eyes. And he locks his eyes at me, I'm 12, and he falls into my arms. He gets a brain stroke. I think that's how you call them in English, a brain stroke. And I have to carry him. And when there is like a brain stroke or, or something like that, the body gets super rigid and so heavy. 
I have no clue, Danny. I had like superpowers. I could pick him up and I put him on the bed and I was 12 years old. And so he didn't die, but he couldn't move anymore. He couldn't speak. And his eyes still were locked at me. I was able to give him water with a cotton, you know, soak it in water. He was not able to swallow and just have his lips wet. I stayed helping my grandmother, all my family that year. And I'm 12, Danny, okay? This sounds very spiritual and very nice. But until this day, I say, why did I do that, <laughs> Right. They all went to Disneyland and they say, who's going to stay with grandma? Well, grandpa is going through this. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll stay. And the mini act of kindness at the age of 12. And I stayed with my grandma while all the family, my father, the sons of my grandfather and my grandmother, they all went to Disneyland. Until this day, I wonder, Danny, you know, why did I choose to do that? But I stay helping her, helping him. And giving him the medicine, holding presents with my grandmother, uh, seeing her strength in the grief, her endurance during the pain, her elegance during all these challenges. And that trained me because when I was, um, you know, a couple of months later, my grandfather died and I had a lot of experiences with that. Simultaneously, do know, simultaneously, my mother is in a degenerative state. Everybody's trying to just survive and do the best they can. I'm still in school. I want to be one of the best at school. I want to excel. I have a lot of uh, inner strength and a lot of leadership skills already, but understand that I had to. See, it was not like, a, it was not like a, hey, would you like to lead? There was no option. There was a, I, I always call that stage of my life choiceless choice, still this day service, rendering help for someone. It's a choiceless choice that feels right to the soul. And when I was 17, and I'm beginning to lead uh, powerfully, yet very into the material kind of the world, into the hustle. And at 17, I'm already thinking of all the businesses I'm going to have. I'm already thinking all the uh, university degrees I'm going to get, which I got a couple anyways. And at the age of 17, I go to a party, Danny. You know those parties that people want to go at that age. And it's a it's a mariachi party. In Mexico, we have a beautiful place called Garibaldi. If you ever want to come with us, we'll invite you. It's so fun. It's all the mariachis. And there's a birthday party of one of our friends. And our parents don't let us go. And a friend of mine, beautiful friend of mine, and I decide to, oh, what could happen? If we escape just for one hour and a half or two, and we escape through a window, and I felt in my body already, this is not right, number one. Number two, I've been feeling two weeks before this is happening. I'm, bef- I'm feeling the eyes of my grandfather. Remember I told you I saw death close by. I knew it was going to happen. I'm beginning to feel my mother's degenerative disease. I'm beginning to see darkness. Two weeks before what I'm about to share with you. So I'm I'm feeling the lure of going into celebration, the lure of being a teenager, but also I'm feeling a call like death to life and life and death. And we go to this party You know, for many years, I had the story that maybe everybody was drinking, maybe no one, because you are 17, you are not allowed. But we were celebrating. We went back to the car. I said, my friend, you can drive my car. And we're driving back from the party. 
and we are driving in the beautiful place in Mexico, which is very interesting, called Barranca del Muerto, which is the Valley of the Dead. And we decided to go there because you have beautiful views of the city, and we were all into nature, and we were all into views. She's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, and we're driving a little fast, and we're going downhill. And now the downhill, I feel long before this happened, again, I feel the same thing I felt when I saw my grandfather's eyes, when I saw how my mother was in degenerative disease. I felt in my body something was going to happen, and I see a wall that is put in the middle of the road with a sign on the floor. I could see like a hawk. I have no clue how I saw it. It's just my all my senses got so alert. I got in the zone of living and dying. And there's a sign in the road that says road is closed. And I just said to my friend uh, in Mexico back those days, you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. And I said to her, because I heard an inner voice that told me, put your seatbelt on. And I said to her, put your seatbelt on now. We are able to put our seatbelts on and we crash with the wall. And a Holy Mother statue that I may share another time that was on the right side. And our car, instead of going straight, goes to the right side where a Holy Mother statue is and crashes and full impact with the wall. And why I mentioned the Holy Mother statue is because on November, this is November 11, 1989, I believe. And for those of you who like astrology, it was a harmonic convergence of planets and all that sort of stuff. But uh, in Mexico, they celebrate the Holy Mother. It's called the Virgin of Guadalupe every November 20th. So the workers, the people that were working on that road that closed the door with a wall, were already preparing for that celebration. It's how they celebrate their own work, their own uh, labor. It's kind of Labor Day in the United States, but it's the, it's the labor and the revolution in Mexico, lots of things. And so they're preparing also to celebrate the, the Holy Mother that is on December 12th. And so the, there's a statue there. And we crashed to that uh, statue of the Holy Mother and the wall. And my arm gets caught. My right arm gets caught. I felt it. The door was, it was a Suru. The car was a golden Suru. I don't even know if you will know this, Danny, but it was a golden Nissan that my no advertisement here, but that my father had just gifted me. Oh my goodness. He had just gifted me with such hard work, you know, with so much heart of his. And it was golden. I was so proud. My car is golden. It's so shiny and it's so cool. And my friend is driving it and I'm in the passenger seat and I just feel the arm comes off with the impact of the door. It goes to the back seat of the car. My left leg, simultaneously, my femur goes out. I see my whole bone coming out of my jeans, my pants, and I see my friend unconscious. All of this time, this is the most traumatic, near-death experience that I had. And um, all of this is happening, and I'm awake. I'm the only one conscious that day. My friend, due to the impact, goes unconscious. But I don't go unconscious. So who's responsible to get us out of there? I am. And so, again, remember that I've been sharing with you that I had a choiceless choice to lead. I had no other option. I didn't even think that not leading was an option. I never even thought that someone had to rescue us. Never in my life 
since little, and I owe this to my mother, I owe this to my father, which has been a great role model of mindset, of endurance. I owe this to my grandmother who modeled us through so much grace and elegance, how she deal with that, all of that. I owe them that I was never a victim. This is super important because that's how I was able to pick up my arm from the backseat of the car, to wake up my friend, to have her go seek help. She was the only one that could get out of the car to direct the ambulance to take us to a private um, hospital rather than a Red Cross, because there they will have removed my arm and my leg, etc. And uh, we got out. And that experience, you know, you're asking me about traumatic experiences, challenges. Uh, it's just the beginning of my life. That's when I'm 17, I'm 18. But that day of the near-death experience became a crusade for me of self-realization, not only for me, but for the whole of humanity, because when I was in the car, all I could think of, Danny, was not even if I was going to keep the arm of the leg. It was all about under my watch. I was 17. My friend is not going to die. Under my watch, I cannot create problems for my father. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to take this second chance. I'm aware that God is giving me a second chance, and I'm going to be of service. I'm going to help people, you know, be safer. By then, I, I made a decision. I'm going to become a public speaker one day for schools. And I was imagining, okay, if I use a, a wheelchair, if I, if, if I never walk again, I will tell them, you know, you got to put your seatbelt. If I never have an arm, I will show them, oh, you know, this is what happens when you don't pay attention to what your parents tell you don't go out. So I already was planning how I was going to serve the future and I was already committed to take the second chance that I was receiving by God into my hands and not create victim story. And all of these, all of these experiences helped me in future challenges in my life. You know, my daughter almost died from anorexia, incredible, courageous warrior soul. She took herself out of that. She she fought so incredibly stronger, strong, stronger than me. Uh, my son was diagnosed with autism and has remained such a light, such a heart-centered uh, young man. Um, I had two marriages that I couldn't just take into success. I took the responsibility for that. And I have another child that who is incredible. I've been homeschooling and I've been facing all these challenges of life, all these opportunities of growth with the same determination and commitment as that day that I had a near-death experience, as that day that my mother was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, as that day that my grandfather died in my arms, and as that day that I had to choose to pick up my arm and pick up myself in the process and say, God, you are giving me a second chance. I am not going to waste it. Plus, Danny, honestly, who gets to say that they have two birthdays? I get double gifts. Sometimes, because not all of my friends send gifts. Anyways, wow. That, I just wow. <laughs> what a way to kick this off. And uh, I'm just in awe in how much of um, leadership and ownership you had since the very beginning, or even since you were seven and 12, and helping your mother go through her disease and then taking care of your grandfather and then really being so in tune with your intuition and having the perspective to put that seatbelt on during the while you were driving and to help your friend get out, all of that, that is just incredible. And I'm, I'm so glad you're here with us today to not only 
tell that story, but also to help many others who who maybe have walked in similar shoes, but then they're still trying to recover from some of those experiences and use the gift of spirituality to heal. So the one thing that's interesting is that you said you got to meditation at the age of 12. Like, how did that come about? So I got into meditation because, you know, remember that my grandfather died. So my grandfather was a governor of one of the states in Mexico, and he introduced public education to the side where he was governor with. Uh, He was a great friend of a president at that time in Mexico called uh, Miguel Aleman. And so he was in charge of the education system. So I've been in the education system since then. You can see the whole family genetics there. But when he dies, he loved my mom, was such an avid reader, spoke five languages. She was incredible. And she inherits from my grandfather his uh, bibliotheque, his library. And when I tell you library, it was not even 100 books, Danny. It was a library, like a bookstore. <laughs> See, that <laughs> sections, photography, travel, cooking, parenting, and one area was called spirituality. And we lived in a very small apartment in, in a place in Mexico uh, with my mom, my brother, and myself. And she loves books so much, and she has no place to put the spiritual area of the books somewhere. Guess where they landed? In my room. So all of my room is spiritual books everywhere. So I have from different sources, different types of Bibles. I have the Quran, the Torah. I have Sanskrit scriptures. I have Egyptian books, the Tibetan Book of the Dead figure. I have Buddhism. I have a Taoism, Confucianism. Every single possible spiritual book that you can imagine lands in my room And at that age, you are so curious. So I start opening the books. But interesting, Danny, just an interesting fact. Somehow, Stephen King also lands in my room. So I have the light and the darkness both playing there. Stephen King is one of the uh, most incredible sci-fi writers about, you know, scary stuff. It, It was so scary that every time I would read something of Stephen King, I will immediately open the Bible afterwards or open, you know, a spiritual scripture. But I am in my room and my mother, you know, is suffering a lot with her disease. And I'm trying to find a response on how to help her. And I opened one of the books that I think, I don't remember if it was the Dhammapada from Buddhism or the Tao Te Ching, whichever book was it. uh, And it said, the power of meditation, with your thoughts, you create the world. And I'm like, that's it. If I can create my world with my thoughts, I can save my mother. And if meditation gives me that power, I'm going to do it. So I've been obsessed on meditation, that, but my why, why I did it was I wanted my mother to be well. I wanted her to be happy. I wanted her to be safe. So a lot of my journey has always been, uh, which has been both a, a light and a shadow in my path, has always been like, if I can help one more person, get healthier, get enlightened, be happier, own their stuff, own themselves, get to know their darkness, get to know their lack and meet more of God. I will do whatever it takes. So I started meditating and I opened another book that says for meditation, you sit down, cross your legs, right? Sit in lotus position. I had no clue what I was doing. Danny. I don't even have a clue if at 48, I know what I'm doing. I'm just better at pretending that I think I know I am, right? But I'm meditating. I'm sitting down and I'm like, okay, this book says, 
repeat a mantra. And I go to the dictionary. What's a mantra? Every word I didn't know. I had a Webster's dictionary, Mexican dictionary, which it was crazy. And I'm looking at the words meditation, the art of contemplation. I'm like, what the heck is contemplation? Contemplation, the art of meditation. I'm like, okay, this is not working. And say a mantra, a word that you repeat to help your mind focus its thoughts. Now that made sense to me. I'm like, okay, instead of having a hundred thoughts, if I can have one word and I can master my thoughts and the book says that if your thoughts, you create the world. Oh, I'm going to create an incredible world for my mother and for my brother and for my family and for my grandmother. I'm thinking so big at that time for them. And so I sit down, repeat a word. And in part of the book says the first word that comes into your mind, that's your mantra. I'm like, okay. And nothing comes. And suddenly I hear a voice from within. The word is love. I'm like, oh, thanks so much to myself. And I start repeating love, love, love. And I enter into an experience that in, in uh, spiritual rooms is called samadhi. It's like, um, it's an experience where all your mind gets so still, like a lake, like a river that doesn't have any movement. It's a quiet, it's a state of presence that I've never felt in my life. I literally felt that everything had disappeared and I encounter for the first time in my life what many people call the present moment, the now. And I open my eyes. I'm 12. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, that was awesome. And I want to do it again. And I want to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. So I started meditating. I started obsessing. I started going to school and coming back and meditating. I started going to school and saying to my teachers, can I go to the bathroom like 10 times a day? And I will go to the bathroom and just lock myself there to meditate one minute, two minutes, three minutes. I will come back from school, do my homework. I will go to sleep super late and meditate. I will wake up earlier, stay and meditate because I wanted now, I had the carrot that God had given me. Oh, you want more? You got to practice more. You got to earn the right. So I start meditating like that. And I start reading all the scriptures, Danny. I read the Bible a couple of times and it was, till this day, it's life changing for me, that book, the Bhagavad Gita, every single book from Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, and all I can find is one common denominator. There's God. Everybody's seeking for God. Everybody wants this experience of oneness with, with God. Everybody wants happiness. Everybody wants to experience more of who they are. And so that was my introduction to spirituality. That's how I started meditating, Danny. Until this day, all my spirituality is still driven by that. My mother, you know, she died, but I cannot save my mother in the past. But if I can help other people, you know, as you said, feel more comfortable in being who they are, healthier in their own soul, more connected to God, more connected to their spirit, more connected to hope, to faith, and being who they are, I'm going to do it till the rest of this, my second life. Wow. Where to begin? <laughs> You've learned so much from all the different religions. And I wonder, for those who are listening to the podcast and who are eager to learn more about spirituality, where should they begin? Well, you know, you have to begin where your where your heart is directing you. I do want to share with everybody. I'm, I've been a spiritual teacher for more than 20 years. I've learned all the scriptures. I find the commonality in all. I don't judge any of them. I welcome the beliefs of everyone, but I do want you to know that I actually became a Christian a couple of years ago. 
because I felt that call of my soul. And one thing that I have learned over the years is when the voice within speaks, follow it. When the voice in your heart feels like you're opening your heart more, trust it. It's like trust your God, and then you'll be able to trust more of God. And But for me, is spirituality is what helps you stay present? What helps you be more at ease with the present moment? Obviously, I will study, if I was someone that just started, because that's how I began, I will study the greatest minds. How did they do it? One of the greatest leaders, whether you are... Christian or not, Jewish or not, whether you are atheist or not, one of the greatest role models of leadership we have is Jesus. You know, and I don't want to convert anyone. It's just because my favorite thing of studying leadership from the great people, you know, and I've always been surrounded by not only the most amazing enlightened spiritual masters living and both not living but also the most incredible leaders, teachers. Actually, I met you, uh, Danny, with one of them, Mr. Tim Grover. This is how I have the honor to be in your podcast and have the privilege to have met such a soul like yours, thanks to Tim Grover, the mentor of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, who for me, he's an incredible spiritual teacher because that's what I go for them to learn, mind mastery for my spiritual pursuit. So I will start with what brings peace to your heart, what inspires you to be greater, to do greater good, to lead with higher power, to to tell your mind to not bog you into pettiness, into, into being a taker, whatever helps you become more of a creator, a producer, and a master of your life. You got to start there. And a couple of books that I do recommend for anyone and that they are not, they don't have these biases or polarities of you have to believe. Obviously, one is uh, called the Dhammapada, which is the teachings of the Buddha, because he's not about Buddhism. Buddha was never a religious person. He was a man that had struggles and suffered and meditated. And he actually, you know, there's a lot of Buddhists that are Christians. I know them. They're my friends. You know, I've I've been with Shaolin monks. I've been with Buddhists, with Christians, with everybody. So I want to be very mindful because I know that this may trigger a lot of people. But the Dhammapada is a great book to start. Reading holy scriptures, but with your perception of your now. How does spirituality talks to you. Maybe it's running where you get into a trance mode. Maybe it's uh, just doing breath work. Maybe it's just sitting still for three minutes a day and repeat a word that brings nourishment to your soul, like I can do it, or I am powerful, or God loves me. Maybe something there. Remember, I didn't start with a teacher. My, well, the teacher was my mother's disease, the death of my grandfather, the love in my heart that I had for these people and me wanting to save my mother. So find a cause too that helps you get out of yourself and believe that you are a messenger of good, a messenger of God, a messenger that can create uh, something for others. That's how I will start. And I think that was very complicated, but, you know, something in there. I cannot tell people exactly a formula, but uh, that's how, how I would start because that's what I did. I love that. I love all of these recommendations and also the final calling to find a cause. This brings me to one of the biggest commandments, if you put it in the Christian uh, words, 
which is to love others, right? As, as much as you love yourself. And kind of almost one of the biggest callings that we have here on this earth or while we're here is to give, to love one another. Yeah, you know, Danny, and for me, you know, a lot of the things I've heard over the years is, Yvonne, you give too much. Yvonne, you do too much, which sometimes is true, you know. Sometimes, especially depending on the mentor that I have, if they tell me, then I revisit it. But for me, having have been in that seat of the car, in the passenger seat, and have been able to direct my life from there without an arm, without a leg, and give and think of others. Till this day, it gives me so much nourishment. When I feel sad, Danny, because, you know, I'm as human as you can imagine. Like recently, just two days ago, our dog of 17 years just passed. And I was so impressed on how deep the grief was for me. I've had people dying in my family and I love them and I understand that I'm not afraid of that. But the passing of our dog, his name is, was Benny. It was just two days ago and I'm here with you right now sharing. It literally felt in my heart such deep loss and grief because this dog, all his life was meant for loving and giving. And I thought about our humanity and I thought about what you are just saying about that commandment. And I was thought if I could only be a little bit more like Benny, if I could only live better the scriptures and the commandments of, of God, of the teachers that I admire, of love another, be of service, be a servant leader. If I could be a little bit more, I know that I will honor my God. I know that I will honor my future generations, my children. I may not be a perfect human. I may have all of these flaws, but I do want to live my life as a nod to God. I do want to live my life as an offering to creation. I want to live this life better than I found it. And most important, not live it on the exit, but live it in the now, every single moment, especially me that I had like another second chance and third chances and fourth chances. And I'm a believer that everybody has, but that commandment of giving, right now we're in a culture of self-love, you know, we have all the selfish thing, self-love, and uh, it's okay to love yourself, which is, it was due time. It's, it's incredible. You get to put the oxygen mask first for you. But I'm telling you, every time I'm depressed, it's not a facial, it's not self-love that helps me get out of there. It's being of service. I do a live stream. I go help people. I create a movement. Whatever I do, it's kind of selfish, but that's what has helped me grow so much. That's what helps me get closer to this experience of samadhi, of self-realization that I had when I was 12. And I've been like, you know, that God put a sakara to me. You want it again? So go for it, but earn the right. Keep going, keep going, keep serving, keep serving. Giving and being of service and still making a living and doing your work every day is kind of a duty of the soul. So I love that you mentioned that commandment because I find that it's not only a commandment, it's a formula for success right there in those words. An unbelievable formula for success. Now, if we decipher it, if we use it wisely, if we sow, you know, it's, the, it's like the sower and the reaper, if we sow the lot that God gave us every day, every day, 
and we don't lose hope and we don't lose faith. And when we do, we gather with other people that help us with their faith. Like I always say to my friend, you don't have faith in yourself. Don't worry about it. Borrow my faith in you. You don't have self-love. Don't worry about it. Borrow the love that I feel for you because I've been dead, Danny. And you know, that's for another time of conversation. And I know that God wants us to live right now. I know that God is telling us, please do not miss the experience while you are there. It's a short drive being human. It may be 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, and with the extension of artificial intelligence, maybe 150 or 300. But time is such a a fleeting passenger of this experience. So we got to give, we got to grow, we got to learn, and we got to contribute to really experience more of God in our lives. I hope this answered and complimented what you were sharing in you. It does. It's a way of living, right? What you described, loving and giving. Um, it's not only formula of success, but uh, it's like God giving us a, a blueprint, right? Now we are yeah. talking about a blueprint for this and blueprint for that. But at the end, all of the knowledge or the best knowledge that has that we have available has already been shared, right? We're now resharing in different ways or bring our own unique experiences to it. But everything that we need is already available. And sometimes it is just so simple and realizing that being of service and and loving on others is really one of the best things we can do. Yeah, you don't want to miss on that experience. You know? No. We don't take the Ferrari. We don't take the private plane. We don't take any of that. We take who we were, how many lives did we change, how much did we love, how much did we treasure every single moment how much we honor god and even our conquest and our successes all of that where we fulfilled as we were living that where we of genuine contribution to humanity to the humanity that we love and that we have a privilege to be part of we have the privilege you know this is happening for us and through us for us to create something masterful absolutely How do you practice spirituality on a day-to-day basis? Well, I do do meditation like three times, sometimes four times a day. I have eased into my, a little bit, into my practices since 12. I do a practice of tea. You've seen me when we do our calls with Mr. Grover. You know, I, I do, I'm a practitioner of tea as a mindfulness practice of serving you know, some tea and some water with mindfulness, the flow of water is called Gong Fu Cha. It's a way of meditating, just being present on how you hold a teapot, how you pour the flow, how you drink your water, who are you choosing to be every moment when you drink the tea. So I do that practice every day. I've been using a technique called transcendental meditation, which is a repetition of a mantra for 20 minutes, like for many, many years. I do that twice a day. I also practice for spirituality, everyday fitness. I believe that doing fitness is a spiritual act. I believe that my body is the temple of my soul. I don't do it for looks like I used to do it at 17 years old. I don't do it now for, let me match influencers on Instagram. I really can't care less about that. But I know it's my duty to keep my body in motion, to keep it as healthy as possible. Plus I get to serve so many people in humanity, in Latin America, my own children, and they're watching. And I have a duty. I have a duty to keep in motion. You know, I'm not an athlete. I'm a spiritual athlete, but not like a physical athlete, you know. 
I have done a couple of things. I did a triathlon from Ironman many years ago for people with uh, special things in their body, like mine, like my arm. I didn't lose the arm, by the way, anybody that that heard that I lost an arm, you know, in the car accident, they sewed it back, but I cannot move my right arm. My left leg is always in tremendous pain. I, do, I have like titanium plates and screws all over, but I try to keep my spirit and my body healthy. So fitness for me is a spiritual act. I read every day. I read two, three, 10 pages. Well, right now it's 75 hard, the program that I did. It was minimum 10 pages, but I always read something that fits my mind. I read a book of entrepreneurship or spirituality or a beautiful quote that sets the tone of my mind of the food I want to eat spiritually. And that's my practice. That's really, really my practice. Fitness of the body, to honor the body as the temple of the soul, fitness of the mind, reading meaningful words that mean something to me and that will keep my mind on track, on point, and focused on the zone. A practice of silence every day, every day, literally, if I can be five minutes in absolute silence or three or two plus my meditation of repeating a mantra every day. And once a month, I do do this. And when I can, because I'm really busy, busy, <laughs> I do it every three months. I take a full weekend and I'm just alone and I'm in silence. I go to a monastery or I go to nature and I'm just in silence with a notebook ready to receive my next instructions from God. I call it my weekend of instructions with God. And I receive so many things. That's where I create programs, movements. That's how I created a network television. That's how I created books. I take that weekend with God. I do a date with God that is solely for receiving what is my next task. And I receive, sometimes I receive one task. Sometimes it's like 20. So, but I do that, Danny. That's my practice so far. That's fabulous. I'd like to learn a little bit more about your experience with spending time in silence, especially a full weekend or even a number of days. It's personally something I haven't done myself. And I've heard about many people who have practiced this and seek that out. For any, any beginners or people who are curious about that and want to consider that, if they were to do this, how should they prepare for this? And what should they expect from maybe even just the first time experience when everything is kind of new and unusual? And <laughs> Well, that's where you want to go, to unusual. We get so used to the usual. You know, I get so used to have wake up. Like 2020 is the greatest teacher of be prepared for the unusual and be prepared to adapt. And then be prepared to get quarantine to be usual. You know, so to exit what you know is an incredible way to train the muscle of the mind for more. Uh, you got to expand. Uh, you got to to position yourself in situations where you have no idea what's going to happen. Because as long as you know what's going to happen, you think you have control. And then 2020 comes. And then a diagnosis comes. And then someone dies. And then something surprises you. And you are not prepared. So I know it's not comfortable. I know it's like I could do in three days a lot of things for all the movements, all the work that I have, but I force myself to unlock myself from the norm. So one of the things I do recommend for people is be willing to eat differently. You don't know what type of foods you're going to encounter unless you are prepared and you say, I'm going to bring, you know, I have a mentor. His name is Jesse Itzler. 
and he went to live with the monks. He did this experience. I'm going to live with the monks. I've never lived with the monks. He has a great book. It's Jesse Itzler. It's called Living with the Monks. Shout out to Jesse, by the way, who is awesome. And he goes there, and you know what he packed in his suitcase to be prepared? Bananas, because he eats fruits till noon. He packed his bananas. So bring your food. If you are into veganism or something, bring some food. Bring a notebook, a pen. Be willing to disconnect from technology. Prepare like that. The toxicity of technology. We are experiencing more nature deficit disorder. There is such a thing like that than before. So be prepared to disconnect from all social media and devote time for you to listen. I'm going to go listen to the birds. I'm going to listen to the monks. I'm going to lock myself. Sometimes I do it and I just get a book in a hotel in a remote area, not far away from me. So I'm close to my kids too. And I just lock myself in a room to be able to write and listen. When you're alone with yourself, be prepared to listen to all the stuff that is going to come out of your mind that you are numbing. Don't be surprised if a lot of thoughts that you didn't know you had show up. You want to, it's a cleanse. It's a major cleanse. Silence gives you a cleanse of your own thoughts. And so I will prepare like that, a notebook, a pen, bring your water if you don't want to spend on high expensive bottles of water. And that's all I will prepare with and some food if if that's what you want. Maybe book an Airbnb, maybe a local hotel, maybe ask a friend, hey, can I stay in a room at your house or or your guest house just for one day or, you know, you got to be creative. And I really recommend if there's nature around, be around. Nature is so healing for the soul and for the mind. And it will help you see things in yourself that you forgot and always help you remember who you are. It makes me want to go on such a retreat myself. <laughs> yeah. It's just for you to take the risk and do it. Absolutely. So there are a few more questions I want to ask you before we close out today. You're the founder of the rebirthing system method, and I'd like to better understand what that is. Can you can you tell us more about that? It's called transcendental rebirthing. I created two things, one called transcendental rebirthing, another one that is actually launching next year, the International School of Futuring. So transcendental rebirthing, I've been into shadow work. I'll share a little bit about that on hypnosis, hypnotherapist. I'm a yeah, Ericksonian hypnotherapist. I've been studying a modality called family constellations. I'm actually right now certifying as a clinician of family constellations of early trauma, trauma integration, all of the things that are related to trauma, to separation from our mothers, of our fathers, of the breaking of the bond with the family system, anything around trauma. I've been a student of to benefit myself and my family. I never thought I was going to be doing this for people, but you know, my life showed me my path, my message, right? And so from all of these modalities that I've been able to learn, body language, uh, reading, neurolinguistic program that I'm certified to, hypnosis, uh, rebirthing, breathwork, I created the system which is called Transcendental Rebirthing System where people come for a day with me or for a weekend and uh, we actually guide them into them rebirthing again. And people, their bodies remember how they were birthed in the womb and they are able to revisit when they were in the womb of the mother 
and they are able to see things of the past that were traumatic in another light. They get from the past the golden nugget that they miss. They begin to heal, uh, transcend, reconnect, and they literally go through a process called rebirthing. It's physical. It's a really physical process. Uh, we do a family constellation. We honor the ancestors. We honor their thoughts. We honor the dark aspects that no one else could honor. We create a safe space for people, for them to revisit and integrate and being able to park the past because so many people are still creating their future in this moment, which is now from their past, from their misery, from what it happened to them. And I'm telling you, I'm an evidence that you can move forward. I'm an evidence that no matter what has gone on in your life, you don't have to disregard it. You don't have to say it didn't happen because it did, but you can use it as a story that will build your life as heroic and will become the, you know, a massive transformation for you and others in life instead of carrying it like a wounded warrior that never could access the warrior aspect of who he was or she was. So that's the transcendental rebirthing system, love. Fabulous. Is this something that you still do today? I do them. It's so intense that I do a certification once every two years. That's how intense it is. Because mm. people revisiting their past, they are so enamored with it. I got to go with them fully in. And we revisit trauma. You know, I've had in my arms, I reverted now more than 10,000 people worldwide. And I had in my arms once a woman that allowed us to share her story, who uh, it was a daughter of terrorists. And one day her skirt was not as long as it was supposed to be in her culture and in her religion. She was five, okay? And her skirt was, instead of being into her ankles, it was a little bit above the ankles. And as a punishment, they remove her nails in front of the whole family. So I tell you, I've been working with people of all traumas. Now she's an incredible woman working at the United Nations and helping and dissolving terrorism schools worldwide. So I've had people that have been sentenced to jail unjustly. I have had people whose children have died in my arms. I've have had people that have all the most terrible trauma. So it takes a toll because, you know, visiting the past of other people with them is heartbreaking, but we do it so that we can help heal that aspect. And once they do that, I do it privately or I do it every two years. I do a training. I've been called right now more after 2020. People are asking more. So I do sometimes I guide people online, but I got to stay with them a couple of more weeks because as you can imagine, the integration needed for this is very big. But, you know, over the years, I'm able now to support people to help them through their own path that they're going to take of healing and faster. Because I don't want them to, to live their lives in the past. You know, I know the treasure that it is to live in the present moment. That's where life really is happening. But I do want them to bring the understanding and, and them to understand that what the past is a place of reference, not of residence. So I do those experiences. I still do their sessions, therapies, and uh, I do them by request right now. I would actually want to participate in one of these myself. I love it how much you are able to help others and help them heal from from their traumas. Because no matter how big or small, if it's something you've been carrying along for a long time and you feel it's weighing you down, it needs to be addressed and your feelings need to be heard. I'm so happy that you're helping so many people the, the way you are. Thank you. Now, this may sound familiar since this is a Fearless Warrior podcast. I'm curious to know 
What does being a warrior mean to you? Okay, for me, it's owning everything that you are, taking ownership of everything, uh, choosing the path of greatness, which for me means like you are no victim, refusing to be a victim under whatever circumstance, living with honor, paying tribute where tribute is due. So many people pretend to pay tribute. So many people use niceness as a mask in their lives, when you can be who you are, be grateful for those who taught you, who brought you into life, who have served you. And, you know, gratitude is the heart of the warrior. Gratitude is the path of the true warrior. For me, being a warrior means I'm going to be like one of my coaches says, at ground level with other people. I'm going to make sure they grow, they thrive, they don't lose, they win. And most important is owning who I am and living my life as a tribute to God. So that means to be a warrior for me, getting to know myself, getting to master myself, refusing to be a victim, refusing not to do good. Like the warrior is not a warrior if it wounds anyone. If you have a business, for example, and it's making people lose money, you are not delivering what you promise. It's not helping people grow. That's the opposite of a warrior. But if you are a warrior that owns who you are, you take responsibility for your mistakes. You use those mistakes as stepping stones of not doing those again. You help people. You keep doing what is good. Then your service becomes a service to God. And that's a warrior in my heart and in my view. I love that definition. So true. Now, many families are getting ready for Thanksgiving in the U.S., so it's just coming up in a few weeks. And I want to dedicate the Thanksgiving episode to you and to, to this episode. Oh. So <laughs> what would be your message to the families who are just getting ready or to celebrate the Thanksgiving together? I will say be intentional. We are in a very pivotal time in human history right now. And I know you are going to receive so many news, especially the people of California with listening to the news about how very few people are able to see their family. It's crazy to me, but I'm not going to judge it. I'm going to use whatever is happening in our favor. So be intentional. Set an intention with your family, even if you can see each other or not, call each other on the phone and decide what type of intention you all are going to hold with gratitude with vision, with purpose, for this present moment and for the future that is coming for you. We are designers of our futures, which are now. Refuse to use 2020 as a story of defeat. Set an intention to give thanks for all the lessons with as many people as you can. Set an intention to pay tribute and gratitude to God, to existence, even for the messes, even for the mistakes, Take responsibility and decide who you are going to be from this Thanksgiving to the next. Decide how you choose to think. Decide how you want to live your life. And maybe, just maybe, all of you as a family or you with your family, with you with God, wherever you are, you offer the feast of Thanksgiving. Maybe you don't have food. Maybe you lost your job in this pandemic. But you offer a feast of thanksgiving to God. How do you offer it? With your positive thinking, with your commitment to mastery, with writing some goals, and with giving thanks 
for every breath of life that you behold. This will be my message for Thanksgiving, love. Thank you so much. That is so deep. And I believe this will encourage many people listening to this episode. Yvonne, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? Thank you, Daniela, to you. I think this is such a great portal for all the warriors out there, you know, that choose to be warriors instead of warriors, instead of worrying for the <laughs> world, because worry is prayer in reverse. So, you know, you are creating an active prayer, even with the name of your podcast, you are creating a portal where uh, people can awaken more into who they are. And this is my life mission, self-realization. And I thank you for contributing to my mission like that. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so honored and I'm so glad we had a chance to do this. And I've learned so much through this episode myself, wrote a lot of notes. And there's so much that we want to share with, with the audience. And we'll be putting all the details in the show notes. My very final question is, if people want to learn more, how can they find you? Yeah, they can always send an email to my team at support at thelaflorteachings.com or visit our website. It's being remodeled. It's going to be ready in 2021, but it's an active website. It's De La Flor. It's like my last name, thelaflorteachings.com or I'm in Facebook as Yvonne De La Flor on Instagram as Yvonne underscore De La Flor. It's social media, website, Facebook. That's where we are. Yvonne, thank you so much for your time today. This was such an amazing conversation. I enjoyed it deeply and I wish you all the best from the bottom of my heart. I hope that you can help more and more people around you and through your work because what you do matters. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you learned something new, do share this with a friend or a colleague. Yvonne shared so much during this podcast, so there's a lot we can all take from this. We'll be back next week with another inspiring episode. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you for spending some time with me and most of all, for investing time in yourself. If you found value in this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our episodes. This will greatly help us spread the word and help others find it more easily. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Denny Timras. Shoot me a note and let me know what you thought of today's conversation. I always welcome any feedback or questions. Remember, now that you're here, you're part of a tribe. In this tribe, we care for each other. We lift each other up as well as share the raw, honest, unpolished truth that we often need to hear. So before you go, think about the next best action you can take to get you on your path to success. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make a commitment and do it now. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great day. Thank you.